you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me, please, this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. And again, we want to welcome those of you who are visiting. We're glad you're here, especially those visiting from out of town. We are going through the Gospel of Luke together. Your family is here at this church. And uh, we are glad that you could join us uh, this Sunday for a little bit of it. We're only looking at a couple of verses this morning from Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 16 and verse 17. I've already preached this a little bit at the nursing homes. I preach uh, twice on Thursday at the nursing homes. Usually they get what you have had the previous Sunday. Somehow we got that order reversed with my vacation. And so they heard first what's coming to you. And uh, so uh, we're going to rely on the Lord in any case uh, for his blessing on this. So let's pray first and then we'll read together. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our father. Now we come and we sit at your feet. Knowing that this is the better portion. And while the world is pursuing a lot of things and is busy about this and that. Lord, you have given us something better than gold, better than, yea, even fine gold. And we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the Spirit's ministry to us and pray that he would help us today. He would bless us and bring grace and power and strength and revival and conversions and sanctification through the word that is preached today. Let us, Lord, have confidence in you. and Look unto you. Lord, may we look past any preacher, but look to Christ himself seated at your right hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 16. Now I'm going to read verse 16 and verse 17 uh, this morning. You might want to keep your Bible handy. We may look at a few other passages. Verse 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Amen. Now, uh, we've been away here for a Sunday or two, and I want to just catch us back to where we are uh, in our text and how we get to these verses. Since chapter 13, we've been really looking at a lot at the kingdom parables. There was the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven that talk about the growth of the church. We had the parable of the banquet where we see the universal offer to come into the church uh, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We see God's concern for the church that is the visible church that is gathered in the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and what I would call the lost sons. Uh, We commonly call it the prodigal son, but I think it's fitting if we call it the lost sheep, lost coins, that we also call it the lost sons, plural. And that God is seeking to go after them and bring them in. And then we saw the strange parable of the unrighteous steward. Uh, which teaches us to use uh, all our blessings that God gives us in this world uh, for kingdom purposes. And we cannot love God and money both. We have to love one and hate the other. We must choose God 
then we must let money be the servant of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Now, here we come to a, a few other verses and they seem kind of random in the context of all these parables. Suddenly, Jesus is talking about the law and the prophets and John and the gospel and the kingdom and people striving to get in. And then you have a, a verse hanging out there almost seemingly by itself talking about marriage and divorce and the issues surrounding that. And I think what Luke is doing here is he's kind of compiling some of the, if you will, key uh, sentences and phrases from the preaching of Jesus Christ before these two groups, before the Pharisees and before uh, the sinners. Remember, that is our context we saw back in chapter 15, verse 1. You, uh, let me take you back there. It says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. So Jesus is preaching here and Luke is giving us a sense of that preaching to these two primary groups, people who are very religious, but have strayed from God, the Pharisees and people who we might consider irreligious, but are a part of the visible covenant community, the sinners, the tax collectors, um, those they, too, have left from God. And Jesus is seeking to preach to both groups here. Now, these verses are almost like kind of what you see on YouTube these days. I don't know if you watch much YouTube, but if you do, one of the trends that some of the bigger churches are doing now is to take little snippets of the sermon. So now you, you get a snippet of John Piper or a snippet of uh, uh, Joe Moorcraft. I think they're doing it. Uh, some of them are even set to music. I don't think you should do that, probably. But uh, some some of the snippets are set to music and you get like three minutes of preaching. You know, it's kind of like, hey, this was one of the things that really stood out in this sermon. And I think Luke is kind of doing that here in these coming verses here. He's saying, you know, this was one of the key moments of Jesus's preaching here. Uh, verses 16 and 17, Jesus talking about the preaching and those entering into the kingdom. And so what I want to do is take that snippet and expand upon it today. And we're going to just look at verses 16 and 17. And as Jesus has been talking about the kingdom, we're going to be talking about today people striving to enter into the kingdom. And 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 it's a very kind of redemptive historical uh, look at the way God deals with his people here. Now, I want to divide it into a few sections. First of all, section one from verse 16, I'm just going to simply entitle that the law and prophets to John, the law and the prophets all the way to John. And then secondly, we're going to talk about the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, people taking the kingdom, people taking the kingdom here. Now, Look with me again at our text in verse 16 in your Bible. Jesus here says the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Now, what does he mean by that, boys and girls? The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Now, I think Jesus is using a little bit of shorthand here. When you think about your Bible, particularly the Old Testament, remember, boys and girls, while Jesus is on earth, and he's preaching. The Bible back then consisted of everything from Genesis to Malachi. Okay, what we today would call the Old Testament. You have to understand the New Testament has not yet been written when Jesus is preaching. And in that Old Testament, 
you have a series of sections. One is called the law or the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You had the historical books following that, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, etc. You had the poetic books, the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then fourthly, you had the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all the way to Malachi. And, and so I think what Jesus is doing when he says that uh, prior to the preaching of the kingdom, you had the, the proclamation of the law and the prophets. That is the beginning of the Old Testament, the five books of Moses and the end. And I don't think he's saying to the exclusion of the historical books and to the exclusion of Psalms. But he's he's here using kind of a an A and a Z, a beginning and an end. He's saying everything here and here, inclusive and in between. And so that the whole of the Old Testament revelation, the revelation of God in the Old Testament were being proclaimed until John. Now, sometimes you need a program to keep up with the Johns. Who is John here? This is John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist. Why John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist, boys and girls, you need to understand John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Okay. Now you say, but pastor, I thought he's in the New Testament. I read Matthew. He's in the New Testament. You're right. You read about him in the New Testament. But remember, in terms of the redemptive historical situation, they are still under the law. Until Jesus dies on the cross and is raised from the dead, we are still under the old economy, the old, you can say this, dispensation. You know, our Westminster Confession of Faith uses the word dispensation. It doesn't make you a dispensationalist. We are under the old dispensation uh, up until John. John is the last prophet, boys and girls, who is preaching. Now, what are all these prophets doing and What is Moses doing? What's the law and the prophets testifying to? They are all looking to the coming of the Lord Jesus. They're all looking ahead to Jesus one day coming. So when John the Baptist finally does say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here's the one of whom I was speaking of whose thongs on his sandals. I'm not worthy to untie. This is the one. This is the long expected one. This is the one. That Moses was speaking of in Deuteronomy 18. You say, what's in Deuteronomy 18? Deuteronomy 18, you remember? This is the famous part where Moses says that God is going to raise up a prophet greater than Moses. I mean, that's an amazing sentence. Given who Moses is. Given what Moses did. He lifts up his staff and the Red Sea splits. And they walk through on dry land and he redeems the people. Out of Egypt and to the people of God. I mean, Moses is the one who spoke to God face to face. His face shone with the old covenant glory that was a fading glory to be sure, but still was a glory. And you're saying somebody greater than Moses is coming, Moses. And Moses is saying, yes, somebody far greater than Moses is coming in Deuteronomy chapter 18. We, we see this uh, in the historical books. Second Samuel, chapter seven, God makes a covenant with David. David says, I want to build a house for you, Lord. I want to build you a building. And the Lord says to David, I like the sentiment, but no. Because you're a man of war, you're a man of blood, and it's going to be a man of peace. It's going to be your son, Solomon, who will build it for me. But this, David, I'll do because you have a heart for me. I'll make a covenant with you. 
And I will promise you that one of your descendants will always be upon the throne of God. And of course, who is that? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the son of David, who is greater than David. This is why Jesus, when he was talking with the Pharisees, quotes Psalm 110. And he says, who is David talking about when he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on this throne. And to the original audience, you're like, "Uh, David, (laughs) what do you mean? The Lord said to your Lord, you are the Lord. You are the king. What do you mean that God, the father said to your Lord, who's greater than you, David? And David speaking, you know, by the spirit is saying one day the son of David will be greater than David himself and Jesus Christ. And that's why, you know, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem and the children are saying Hosanna to the son of David, that's a a, a pregnant, theologically pregnant phrase there. That was a messianic phrase. That's why the Pharisees were so irritated that that people would be shouting that phrase at Jesus. They're saying he is the son of David, the greater expected one. Uh, you can look at the prophets or or the, the poetic books. David, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he goes on to speak about the nails piercing his hands and his feet, speaking about Jesus on the cross. Uh, you could look at Psalm 72, Solomon speaking about the kingship, uh, the glorious kingship of Christ in the gospel. You could look at the prophets, Isaiah 53, the man of sorrows, the suffering servant or Jeremiah 31, the promise of the new covenant. So all of this, what Jesus is saying here is the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. There is one continual message. Now you say, Pastor, boy, that's an interesting lecture. But what does it mean for me? Well, let me give you some some points to take with you here in terms of, I think, ways that will make this significant for you in the 21st century. Number one. Number one, it should this understanding should help you understand the meaning of the scriptures, particularly as you read the Old Testament. And it will help you understand the gospel itself. What do I mean by that? What I mean by this is this. I give, I've given this illustration to this church over the years a couple times. I'll do it again. Your average Sunday school lesson. Let's take your average four and five year old Sunday school class or your average fifth grade Sunday school class. And the Sunday school teacher comes in and says, kids, today the lesson is David and Goliath. And what often happens is the Sunday school teacher comes in and says, David is good guy, Goliath's bad. David triumphs over Goliath. Be like David. That's often the way it is presented. I would suggest to you what Jesus is saying here, that the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, and now you have the kingdom of God, is that what Jesus is saying, here's how the story of David should be taught to our kids and to each other. David is a type of Jesus. And until Jesus comes, this is the picture of Jesus that the people of God, the nation of Israel have. And in this shepherd boy, you have one who is able to vanquish the evil one. Who is a type of Antichrist, a type of Satan. And that as we see Israel putting their trust in David to lead the people of God, 
to greater blessings as a nation. We should be putting our trust in the son of David, Jesus Christ, who will cause us to triumph over our enemies, over our internal sin and over our external enemy, Satan, the evil one. And that by trusting in Jesus Christ, Christ will build his nation. He will build his church around the whole world. So that's the way we ought to be looking at the Old Testament. And the reason I emphasize this is because otherwise the danger we present is that we make the Bible a story of moralisms. Where we're just told, do this, be this, do this, be this, be the Daniel you're supposed to be, do the things David does. Be like Jeremiah, you know, and and while there is a place for that, it, I think, misses what the whole intention of Scripture is. And that is it is always to point us to Christ, not to ourselves, that we try to get over this bar set by David or Daniel or whoever, but that it points us to Christ and Christ's obedience. Christ has hurdled the bar in his active and passive obedience that we could never hurdle. We who were sinners, weak as the law was, Christ did for us. Jesus crossed over the bar of God's standard of righteousness for us that we could not as sinners because we were born in this poor condition. And as sinners, we could not get out of our own condition. We needed a savior. We needed God to send his son. We needed the son of God to come into this world. And until he comes into the world, God helped his people to see something of who he would be when he got here. So Moses is pointing to Jesus. Boys and girls, David is pointing to Jesus. Solomon is pointing us to Jesus. The historical books are pointing us to Jesus. The prophets are telling us about Jesus. And so when Jesus comes in John chapter five, he says, you search the scriptures to the Pharisees because they're saying, man, we're men of the book. We're men of the Bible. And Jesus says, if you guys really love the Bible, you'd love me. Because the whole Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament is pointing us to Christ. Now, I want to say this because you're 12 years old, some of you. And you're reading your Old Testament for the first time systematically. And you're you're struggling. Genesis, hey, that wasn't too bad. Lots of stories, kind of interesting. Exodus, okay, harder. Leviticus, now I'm in Georgia mud. And my wheels are spinning a little. Uh, and, and I'm reading about washings and I'm reading about blood and sprinkling and cleansings. And what is this? Or I'm reading in the historical books and I'm reading about all these places and I don't understand the names and Moabites and Malachites and Ammonites. And and what does this all mean? Let me help you here. The basic hermeneutic you need is that whatever book you're reading, one of the things you're supposed to be doing is how do I discern Christ in the scriptures here? Okay. Now, that doesn't mean I turn over every little rock and try to invent imaginative ways to find Jesus, you know, in Balaam's donkey or something like that. Okay, that's not what I mean. But but it does mean that when I look at all these sacrifices and and the sprinkling of the blood 
And I, I look at all the times that they, they're always ceremonially unclean. And I'm thinking, man, you're, they're unclean half their life. If you take this literally here and you look at what all that you have to do and the washings and you're not clean until evening, they're always unclean. And that's the point. Is they need Jesus. And, and the blood of these animals can't really take away the sin. Now, they do it out of an evangelical faith and obedience to the Lord, but they know in their conscience that the blood of a goat isn't really going to deal with this uncleanness in my life. I need the blood of God's Son to take this out of my life. And so, as you're reading through your Bible, and you're coming to difficult portions of the Bible, and you're wondering, you're tempted to just give up and say, this is too much, it's too hard, I can't understand these things. You have to have some kind of seminary degree to get this. Let, I'm trying to make it easy for you and simple here for you. That, that, they, that the, the scriptures are chiefly about Jesus Christ. And that, that these things are written so you can understand who he is. And the beauty of it is now that you are in Christ in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, you can look back on these Old Testament passages and see things that were always there, but now it's as though the lights got turned on. It was, they were always there for the people of God. The furniture, you know what, what this is. You, you, you do it. I do it. We think we can navigate our house in the dark. We get out of bed and we say, I know, I know where everything is in my house and I'm going to navigate. And, I, and it is. It's right there, but you can't see it, can you? And then the, the sun comes up or the lights come on. And what was always there is just there, but it's now more clear. And, and only the Spirit of the Lord can, can do this for you. But, uh, and, and this is why Paul even says, you know, the Jews, they continue to read the Old Testament in their synagogues, but they're not seeing Christ. Uh, it's though they read with a veil still over their face. And only the Spirit of the Lord can take that away from us. So, Getting back here to our verse, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. What is everything from Genesis to Malachi about? It is about Christ. Everything from Genesis to the preaching of uh, John the Baptist, even into your New Testament here, since uh, redemptive historically, they're still under the Old Covenant. You have everything looking ahead to Christ. Now Christ comes. And we get to the, the second part here. And Jesus says the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, though, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. And that is, it's not a different message. You've got to understand that the, this, the preaching of the gospel is not separate from the preaching of the Old Testament. It's not, it is not something entirely new. As though they were saved one way in the Old Testament and saved in a new way. But rather, what is being said here is that you have the fulfillment of what was being preached by Moses, by David, by the prophets, by the Psalms, etc. We have now the long anticipated fulfillment of what the Old Testament was looking for, longing for the consolation of Israel. Looking for her redemption, looking for her salvation. Now she has it in the person of Jesus here. And now the message is he has come. The king has come. Let the angels sing. 
let the shepherds go to Bethlehem and let the message begin that Christ has come. The Messiah has come. God has sent his son. And now the kingdom is here and it is being preached indiscriminately to the nations. And God is using the preaching here to awaken people and to bring them into his church, into his kingdom. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And now it says since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. And I want to spend a second here to on that operative word preached. Now we have what? The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is, uh, first of all, I want you to see that it is preaching here. Okay, we do not advance the kingdom of our Lord and Savior uh, by coercion, uh, by force, by guns. We are we serve, we die to ourselves, we preach. And what is this preaching? The preaching is the gospel. And the gospel, boys and girls, means the good news. This, this is a proclamation of good news about salvation. This is not a do it. This is not an exhortation. This is an announcement. Uh, this, this, is, this is good news. You, you kids, uh, you may not know the difference. You know, when I use exhortation, you know what it is, but you may not know the term uh, for it. When your mom says, clean your room, that's an exhortation. Okay. When dad comes home and says, we're going out to dinner, that's a proclamation. <laughs> okay. And one's a lot better than the other. And, and that, that, so what we need to understand is that, that the preaching of the kingdom it is a proclamation. It is an announcement of salvation. And it is, it is, it is not chiefly an exhortation. But it is that the announcement that the Son of God has come into the world. He is God of God and yet truly a man. That the miracle of miracles has taken place. He is walking among us and he has come to save us from our sins, to live perfectly, to die for us as a substitute, to wash us from the sins that the Old Testament was kept telling us about. And God uses the foolishness of preaching, we're told. That's why, as I've used this illustration before, CNN will never show up. Unless it's something political or scandalous, the news media does not cover preaching because they consider it foolishness. But the New Testament says it's the preaching of the word of God, which is the power of God unto salvation. It's so wonderful and strange and unexpected that it seems like foolishness to the world. Because it's something that has to be spiritually appraised to appreciate. It's not something that gathers in the corridors of power in Washington, D.C. Or is done in some kind of executive committee somewhere. Or in the top floor of some kind of corporation building. It, it, it is the simple preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ that turns the world upside down. That God loves sinners, that God shows grace to sinners, that God shows mercy to those who will repent and believe and trust in his son, that they shall have eternal life. That is the promise of salvation, that there is no other name, that Jesus Christ is the one and all who trust in him will not be disappointed. 
He will save to the utmost. God has the ability to save even you this morning. If you're here and you've never been saved before, if you've never known what it is to have your sins forgiven. The good news is that that this is a day of salvation for us. This is this is a day of proclamation. That all who believe may come in and, and, and the gospel is preached here indiscriminately and God uses that. It's like Ezekiel 37, you know, the dry bones, boys and girls. Remember the story of Ezekiel and the dry bones and, and you have all these dead Dry bones lying out there, scattered, separated one from another because of the animals picking at the stuff. And God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to do something. I want you to prophesy over those bones, preach over those bones. And so Ezekiel begins to preach the word of God. And what happens? The the spirit of God comes and puts the bones together and puts sinew and flesh upon it. And the last thing he puts his spirit in them and men come to life. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture of what God does through the preaching of his word. God brings people to life. This is why we're so word centered. This is why we spend money to get missionaries out there. This is why we build websites to put sermons out there. You notice liberal churches don't put their sermons out there. You ever notice that? Liberal churches generally just don't have a sermon page. They don't believe in preaching the way we do. For them, preaching is like kind of help self-help messages. I, the liberal preacher, am going to help you to try and be a better person. And I'm going to give you a few pointers. And, and that is not our understanding of preaching at all. We believe that preaching is... is is the, 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 the means that God uses to bring people from death to life. To bring about the regeneration. To bring about the, the, the being born again. You know, this is why uh, the Spirit uses the preaching of the Word. This is why you've, you've seen it maybe in your own life. You've, you saw it in somebody else's life. And maybe you had a friend and they, they seemed irreligious and worldly minded and weren't concerned about eternity and didn't think much about death. They just wanted to have a good time, do good stuff at work and make some money and, and, and et cetera. And then suddenly they want to read their Bible. Or you knew that somebody in your hall, in your dorm, and they, they kind of went to parties and didn't seem to be all that concerned about morality. But now suddenly they're getting more serious about right and wrong. And, and they're beginning to read the Bible. In their dorm room and they're, they're beginning to want to go to church. And what, what is God doing? He's using the preaching of his word. He's using the word to transform them. And, and to bring them to, to life in Jesus Christ. I can remember my own conversion to Christ uh, in, in college. You know, I thought I needed some kind of intellectual reason for everything, why I was doing what I was doing. But when it comes down to it, looking back, I, I started reading my Bible because I wanted to read my Bible. I started going to church because I wanted to go to church and start hearing the preaching. God had begun to move and began to give me desires that formerly I didn't have. And no intention of going to church my freshman year. But then somewhere in the sophomore year, I wanted to start reading my Bible. Start going to church. Start hearing the preaching. I want to learn. Give me some tapes. Going to friends. I hear you're a Christian. Why did you do that? <laughs> you know. 
and, and listening. And, and it is through the foolishness of the preaching. This is why preaching is so important for the life of the church. And whenever the church is in decline, the preaching is in decline. Whenever the church is strong, the pulpit is strong, the preaching is strong. Whenever the church starts moving away from preaching and gets into other things, they may be good things. Maybe it's good diaconal work. And listen, I'm all for mercy ministry, but even Jesus' mercy ministry was always to point the people to the preaching. Why did Jesus heal people? One of the chief reasons Jesus would heal people was to demonstrate that the, the veracity of his preaching. To show the people that he did have the power of God within himself and he could do these miracles. But everybody who's healed by a miracle of Jesus ends up dying. Lazarus had to die again. The kid who died and was in the coffin being carried with his uh, widowed mother sobbing behind the coffin, he later does die again. The point of all those healings is so that they would think about the preaching that Jesus was giving them. That they needed to be saved. They needed eternal life. They needed to put their trust in this man who can raise the dead physically. And he's talking about raising people at the end of history. Maybe I should listen to what he says. Because I've never seen anybody raise a dead person from a coffin before. And so the miracles were always to testify to the veracity and the power of Christ in his preaching. What does Jesus say here? The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. And he says, and everyone is forcing his way into it. Now, I don't want to become too technical here. There's a little bit of. Mystery here because of the Greek. The Greek is in what they call the middle tense. It means basically you can take it, you can translate it actively, you can translate it passively. So everyone is forcing his way in or is being forced in. Obviously here in this translation they translate it actively. I think that's what I would have done too, but I'm no Greek expert. Plus my English teacher always told us to use the active voice. So, men are, if we take the active here, are striving. Elsewhere, it even says, even with violence, to grab hold of the kingdom. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me give you uh, a few comments from uh, some commentators. Matthew Henry says this. He says, no man thinks himself bound in good manners to let his betters go before him into it, meaning into the kingdom. That is, you know, boys and girls, we, we're walking into the church and we're coming to the front door about the same time as maybe, you know, a senior citizen who is coming in. What do we do? We give way. They're our senior. They're our superior. And so we give way to them and we, we welcome them in first and we come in behind them. But here, Matthew Henry is saying that there, there's no... Buddy being bound here with good manners in that sense. Oh no, you first. We're all striving with an intensity to enter into the kingdom. Matthew Henry says that uh, no one no one thinks himself bound in good manners to let 
his betters go before him into it or stay until the rulers and the Pharisees have led that way. That's a really interesting line, isn't it? As Jesus is preaching to those two groups, the sinners and the Pharisees, he's saying it's okay, sinners, for you to press into the kingdom ahead of the Pharisees. Don't you don't have to wait and and see what they do to determine whether you're going to do it. You strive to enter through the narrow gate through faith in Jesus Christ. You seek to take in all the preaching that you can and strive to enter. Let me read you another comment here. Again, I think from Henry. Those that would go to heaven must take pains, must strive against the stream, must press against the crowd that are going the contrary way. You need to realize that the preaching of the gospel may mean that we find ourselves heading in an opposite direction. People are taking the kingdom, even by violence. Now, it's not a literal violence there, boys and girls. But it means with great effort. That, to put it another way, like in the parable of the pearl of great price, we, the guy, he, he's walking through the market and he sees finally this. He's been in the pearl business his whole life. And he finally he sees a, a pearl that he has never seen before. And he, he sells his inventory to get that one item. And so it is with those who are striving to enter the kingdom. They see finally the value of Jesus. This is who I've been looking for. This is what I've been looking for my whole life. Nothing else seemed to matter. Nothing else seemed to satisfy my deepest needs, my deepest desires in life. My life always seemed to be missing something. And then I see Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now it makes sense. The world makes sense. There is a God. He does love me. He has sent a son for me. And I just need but believe on him and trust him and follow him and have eternal life. Are you striving to enter the kingdom this morning? Are you striving by faith to look at Jesus, to behold him as your savior, as your Lord? You know, Jesus told us that Abraham saw Jesus, even though Abraham lived a few thousand years before Jesus ever was here. He said that he saw Jesus by faith from a distance and he rejoiced in what little he saw of Jesus from a far distant place. Now you have the privilege of seeing him up close. You get the opportunity to hear his words in the word of God. You get to see what he did in his works. And he wants you to rejoice in him. He wants you to come in and Jesus gives you that offer. You will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says you are welcome to him. God will in no way cast you out. Amen. Let's pray.